me again. Um, I just wanted to give you a little update um, at the end of the week here. Um, gosh, this is sounding more and more like me calling up an old friend and leaving them a voicemail. Um, but you know what? We're just going to go with it. We're going to act like it is a completely normal thing to call up an old friend from high school and ramble about taxes to them. Um, I don't know. Is that what getting old is? Like, is that, I, I mean, maybe I will be doing that at some point. I guess I just didn't think it was happening now. Um, right. Anyway. Okay. So today, uh, we hit 400 signatures, which is fantastic. Um, at this pace, um, I am pretty confident that we are going to hit 500, which is a very, very respectable number. Um, that is how many the small biotechs had, um, signing their letter. Um, I still feel like a thousand is possible. And I know that there are more than a thousand, um, you know, small, small companies, um, out there who are impacted. Um, but if we send at 500, that is phenomenal. Um, really anything on top of that is, is gravy. Um, so that's where we're at. Um, and a huge part of that is because of two people who sent this out to their newsletters this week. Um, so I have to give a huge shout out to Justin Jackson and Corey Haynes for sending out um, an ask to sign this on their newsletters this week. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, how much I appreciate you lending your audience um, to this issue, to them getting involved. Like I know like a lot of us try not to touch anything remotely related to politics with a 10-foot pole um and um but this this impacts all of us so much and i you know i was telling someone earlier i didn't expect you know government relations policy stuff to uh be something we would have to deal with until we had at least 10 million uh which is you know when or sorry 100 million um to at least 100 million which is when a lot of you know companies like you know facebook stripe etc like hire their first dc person right and really get involved um, and here we are. Um, but yes, so thank you, Justin and Corey. Go sign up for their newsletters. Um, show them some love. They have just been an amazing help, um, to, to us getting to this point. Um, so as I stand here right now, we are at 401. Um, now there were about 100 people who signed up for this effort before the letter was available. And about half of those people have re-signed. Um, and, you know, before I put somebody's company name on a letter to Congress, like I want to be 100% certain that they want it there. So I need all of those people to re-sign it. And they have gotten an email in the past about this. But um, if you're not sure and you signed up before the letter was out, um, just go and re-sign it. That helps a lot. Um, right now, um, we also have 46 states plus DC who have signed. It's very, very important that we have all 50 states sign this letter. Um we still need people from Alaska, South Dakota, Mississippi, and New Mexico. So if you know people who have an indie SaaS company in one of those states, um, if they run an agency that serves a lot of small um, software companies, that also helps, right? I'm starting to see more and more of those folks sign up because they are realizing that they are an R&E expense for their customers and that they will no longer be able to um, you know, that, that's going to shrink their own customer base. Um, 
so um yes so if you know anybody in alaska south dakota mississippi or new mexico who's doing this you know bootstrapped indie SaaS. it doesn't even have to be SaaS really but like who's doing um you know small software of some sort um please reach out to them personally and ask them to sign um i think that also made a really big difference was people were reaching out to others directly and asking them hey can you sign this and then you know can you tweet about it as well um there's one thing um between seeing it show up on your timeline and tweeting about it and then someone specifically reaching out to you and asking you to sign um so that's really making an impact but at this rate i think we we, we're definitely going to hit 500 and we need to hit all 50 states um so Given this, and, I, and I'm kind of putting together the, the sort of the media plan for how we get this to Congress in front and in front of the media, um, which is about 10 days from from as I record this right now, I'm going to extend the deadline for signatures until April 12th. Um, so there's, there's a couple of big pushes going out at the end of next week. Um, it is going to take some time to, f- to format all of this, right? All of the company names have to be alphabetized. You know, if people sign twice, I need to sort of dedupe. Um, so the last big push is going out on the 12th. If people are still trickling in on the 13th, that's fine. Um, but we're really going sort of letter freeze um, um, shortly thereafter that. Um, but if we keep up this momentum, I mean, I woke up this morning and I, I had 39 emails and most of them were um, people signing the letter, which is fantastic. Um, if we keep up this pace, um, if people keep putting it in their newsletters, we are we are definitely going to get north of 500. And that is huge. I mean, just think about us as a community. Like, we don't have any kind of presence in D.C. Most people in the broader economy don't know what we do. I mean, I have a t-shirt that says I have a fake internet job because most people don't realize that like running a small software company is even a thing right uh never mind that it's great most of the time right except when we deal with this kind of stuff and um i just so fervently believe in in our way of life um that you know for for so many people especially developers like the path to happiness is not climbing the corporate ladder it's striking out on your own and knowing that you have that option and feeling supported as you do that and having a community around me you know around you to help you with that um and and so I feel like we're defending our our way of life here um it sounds kind of dramatic but that's why I'm pouring so much energy into this even though it is quite frankly exhausting me and I a little bit yearn for the days when I woke up and I had five emails. Um, so that's where we are. Um, things are looking really good. We have to keep pushing. Um, and I think as more and more people get their tax bills and they realize that this is happening, um, the the people reaching out to me, the, the, the stories are getting worse and worse. Like, um, you know, taking out loans and I mean, I, I don't know. I, we just all know how hard it is to get banks to work with us normally. Right. Um, so, so, so how do we, how do we kind of 
get through this, right? Not only financially, but also mentally, because I think it's really difficult for us as entrepreneurs when it feels like kind of the world is on fire around you. And how do you focus and keep going and, you know, keep yourself calm and your team calm? And so um, taking a slightly different tack on this, um, I talked to Tyler Tringus and Arvid Call um, on their new podcast about keeping calm as an entrepreneur through this. Um, and, 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 and so I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, worth you listening to. I liked talking to them. Um, and, um, I am adding them on here and, uh, on this episode. And again, if you have a podcast and it's going to come out before, um, you know, Thursday, Thursday, Friday of next week, please mention this on your podcast. Um, if you have a newsletter, please mention this in your newsletter um, it's, it's making a huge difference. Um, and it's, it's really helping get this in front of people. And I, and I think we're almost moving beyond the point when people need to be aware of the issue, but more like people are impacted and they feel trapped because they don't feel like they can do anything about it. They don't feel like they have any ability to influence Congress. And this is our opportunity to do so. And so trying to get it in front of people who are already aware um, that this is a problem um, and casting as wide of a possible net as we can to people who are aware this is a problem or now they are uncertain about it and feeling like they have probably filed their taxes wrong at their accountant's advice and are worried about it um, or are, you know, sort of second, um, you know, second degree impacted like, you know, uh, copywriters, you know, SEOs, agencies, stuff like that who are, you um, now, just seeing that they're there, even if they are not an R&E expense, that their customers are going to have less cash flow for everything because of this. Um, so. So, yes, so I guess I should end my rambly voicemail podcast, whatever you want to call it, um, with just with just a thanks again. Um, I am incredibly heartened to see our community coming together to fight this. Um, this is the beginning for us. Uh, we are nearing, uh, as Winston Churchill said, the end of the beginning, uh, which is when we send the letter. Um, and um, I still feel very confident that, that we can push this, that we will shake this up, that making it clear that this is a small business issue will hopefully remove some of the political hurdles um, that have that have hindered this in the past. And... Um, that we'll be able to get this done if we work together. All right. This is Arvid and Tyler Ketchup. And today we have a special guest on the show, Michelle Hansen, the co-founder of Geocodio, a SaaS business that provides hassle-free geocoding. She's also the author of a very practical book called Deploy Empathy, of which I own two copies, one of which is signed. So, you know, it's, I care about that book. And now she's an entrepreneurial activist as well. And we'll all catch up with each other. So let's get started. Tyler, what have you been up to this week? Uh, this week has been really interesting. We've been doing a lot of work on leveraging sort of automation and AI uh, internally at the fund. So we've been kind of just going nuts on a lot of 
little things where we've got little bots going around and summarizing things out of our CRM and turning it into a feed for us and um, quick commands that we can call right out of our Slack to go and send little GPT powered bots to go and do tasks for us. And it's been a really fun sort of deep dive. Um, we are actually going to be spinning out a couple of these as as really, really micro SASs um, sometime in the next couple of weeks. Um, they're they're going to be more experiments than full-fledged products, but um, that's what we've been working on a bit this week. So cool. Yeah, I've been having a lot of conversations you? on Twitter, right? <laughs> as, as that is my job, apparently, about AI yeah. and the impact that AI has on bootstrap businesses, uh, SaaS businesses. I wish we all would have time to... Uh, experiment with AI, but there are more pressing problems and we'll get to that in a minute. One thing that I've been doing this week um, is preparing my little, it's not a talk really, but it's a, a roundtable discussion that I'm going to be facilitating at this year's MicroConf US in, in Denver in a couple of weeks from now, which is kind of crazy thinking about that. That stuff just sneaks up on you. I'll be I'll be like hosting a little roundtable about the challenges of entrepreneurship, SaaS and bootstrap entrepreneurship in in particular. Because I guess I've been talking a lot about mental health issues and just like dealing with things. And uh, today again, we're going to be discussing one of these super impactful, super stressful, anxiety-inducing things that you just have to deal with and try to stay calm through. So um, I'm, I want to encourage people to have a little conversation about this. Not a little, an actual conversation, honest, uh, mm. eager, and peer-based conversation. That's what I'm going to be doing. And I obviously have to prepare for this, right? Set people up to mm. have as productive a discussion as possible. So I've been working on this. And then obviously the AI topic is still going on with all the new things. And we, we can talk about that later too. But I do want to pass this conversation to Michelle now because she probably had a an amazing week as well, <laughs> Michelle. What have you been doing for the last couple of days? Catch us Honestly, <laughs> I have been having a lot of phone calls. Um, <laughs> so many calls, which, you know, as as a uh, founder of a calm company, uh, most of us probably don't say, what did you do yesterday? Oh, I spent four hours on calls talking about taxes. Um, <laughs> But that's what I've been working on because, I mean, we just went through sales tax compliance last year and are still kind of working out a last couple last few things with that. Uh, you know, we are in we are a U.S. company, but we live in Denmark and Denmark doesn't have the concept of LLCs. And so now we're in the middle of a gigantic international tax mess. Um, and then the U.S. Congress, they changed the part of the tax code that deals with software development, which is giving everyone massive increases in their tax bills. And so I don't even think I can count the number of accountants that I'm talking to lately. Like, I need to hire an accountant to count all of my accountants. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, honestly, that's the kind of thing we don't really talk about, but that's you know, when, when you have a business that's kind of post product market fit, right? Like, and, and I don't know where this inflection point is. For me, it felt like things got way more on the operations side in a way that I hadn't really heard people talk about. Like when we got like over the 2 million ARR mark. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I'm kind of jealous of your week, Tyler. Like, playing with chat GPT and like, I mean, I saw some of the, the, the bots in the calm slack oh, and how 
there was somebody like trying to get it to write a, a press release about like an oil <laughs> spill or something, but like put in like puns about it. And it was so funny. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, it was so funny. I wish that was my entire week, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, well. Um, I don't envy you, but uh, <laughs> in part, one of the reasons we did want to have you on to, to talk about a couple of things. We want to talk about, you know, a couple of the normal topics that we, we typically cover here. But we were chatting with you about this this issue of Section 174 in the tax code. And we thought, um, you know, the, the audience of folks that, that listen to this are probably going to be particularly impacted and should be moved to act. Um, so we wanted to, to just dive right into that, if that makes sense, Harvard, you think? Just like... Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I want to dive into okay. taxes. I love taxes, man. This is this is my topic. So <laughs> yeah. So just to set a little bit of context, what we're going to do is we're going to get a deep dive on what's going. Uh, I think we're going to get a a primer on what's going on. Maybe not the full deep dive. That one can be saved for the accountants. We're going to get uh, a, a a status update on what's going on with the tax code, how it's going to affect um, founders of of, of uh, software companies in particular. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what you can do about it. And then I want to shift the topic as well to um, kind of the, the mental game aspect of dealing with stuff like this, um, especially as it seems to be, you know, every month there's a new thing. Um, and so I'd love to talk a little bit about that. But starting with just what is it? What's going on with Section 174, Michelle? Yes. And so before I launch into that, um, the disclaimer that the experts I have been talking to have told me to say every time I talk about this is that yeah. I am not a tax accountant. And to get advice about your specific situation, talk to a tax accountant. Yeah. Okay. So section 174 is the part of the tax code that deals with what is called research and experimental activities. And mm -hmm. this includes software development and has for over 60 years. And the reason why we're talking about it is that for you know, all that time, companies have had the option to either expense those R&E expenses or they could amortize them. And now I should note that this is different than the R&D tax credit. This likely applies to you even if you don't take the R&D tax credit, even if you don't think you're doing R&E or R&D, because while we are still waiting for the IRS to define what software development is, because they have never had to do that before, even though it is in the tax code, mm. the way big companies and their very well-paid accountants are interpreting this is that this is not only new product development and all of the costs that go into that, servers, salaries, everything, market research, um, also new feature development on existing products. And so when mm. people think about R&D, they tend to think, oh, that's when you're doing something that's very, very experimental. You know, Maybe you're building a new product and you're also completely building your own new framework way of doing that. And then, okay, maybe in that case, I'll apply for this R&D tax credit. This mm -hmm. is different. Than that this applies to things you are already doing and have already done because this took effect starting january 1st 2022 and the mm -hmm. reason why you're just hearing about it now is that when congress made this change in 2017 they actually intended to revert the change before it took effect for 2022 and so at right. the end of last year um there was a lot of conversation in Congress about repealing this and mm -hmm. reverting Section 174 to give us the option um, to expense. And uh, that kind of fell through at the last minute. Mm -hmm. 
And so now we're in a situation where companies who, you know, let's say they spent $100,000 to pay a developer to build a new product last year, uh, plus, let's say, another $5,000 in other expenses, like servers and, you know, other licenses maybe that went into that, right? So of that $105,000, normally they would just take that all off the top of their taxable income. Instead, right. that has to be amortized, which means it has to be spread out over many years. And mm -hmm. for the first year, you can only take 10% of that. And the other part of that is now profit, apparently, mm. right? And But it's not real profit because you've already spent that money. And mm. so it's phantom profit. And uh, we're small companies. We're, we're not really following tax policy, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so all of us are finding out about this now and like there are founders who are getting tax bills that are 466% higher than they anticipated and are freezing hiring, laying people off, yeah. um, taking out loans. Uh, it's, it's very serious and, and, and it's just wild that Congress never intended for this to go into effect and they have been intending to repeal it but just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, got it. So just to kind of maybe play back some of the, the highlights here, um, this tax code change that is effective as of actually last year, right? So it's, it's for this year's taxes. It affects most of what we would consider software development, right? So the salaries of software developers, the uh, inputs, right, AWS bills. Basically, if you run a SaaS business, a lot of your costs, maybe excluding like customer support or design, but but anybody doing, you know, software development, a big chunk of that, we don't know exactly how much, but a large portion of that is going to be affected. And instead of being able to just write it off on your taxes in the normal way that you would do with all of your salaries, basically, right? I mean, most people's taxes, everybody gets paid and that gets deducted from profit and profits just above that. Specifically, your software development stuff is actually going to have to be spread out over somewhere between it's five years or 15 years, depending on. Yes, yeah, so it, it's what, what, five years for US yeah. expenses and 15 for international. Right. So the point <laughs> do, being, do it gets indie spread businesses out even longer. exist? That's, yeah. that's crazy, right? Yeah. Do we did, did we even have a, a word for for indie businesses fifteen years ago? Like indie SaaS businesses, that that might be a rather new thing comparatively, right? I mean, and this yeah. is the problem, right? Is that you, even if you can get these expenses spread out over five years, is the business going to make it that long? And especially yeah. that first year is tough, right? Because if we right. have to split out um, new features and new products from maintenance work, so like bug fixes, for example. Do we all have to be time tracking all the time, right? right? Like, oh, yeah. I spent, I used the staging server for 15 minutes to test this new feature, but then I used it for 15 minutes to work on this yeah. bug fix. Yeah. We haven't been time tracking that, right? Yeah. Like it's an, well, it's an administrative it, headache too. Yeah. Just to, again, put the a little bit of context on the impact here. Is it fair to say, I mean, again, we're not accountants, but I think you can just sort of squint your eyes and look at the effect of this. It is a sort of, there's a sort of 
you know, inverted curve here of how the effect is going to happen where the first year is going to absolutely suck, but eventually they kind of start to pile on top of each other. So if you can sort of make it to the other side, you won't have such a dramatic year over year impact because you'll have previous years costs starting like four years from now you know, you're, you're not going to be in such bad of shape, assuming you can make it there, of course. But it's not like forever and all time, every single tax year is going to go up by 500%. It's just this really acute thing right now, like year one, year two, that could sink businesses, right? And it also just makes the businesses less profitable over time as well. Is that the right way to think about um, how the basic math kind of works with this? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And I think it will also change okay. how people run their businesses. Um yeah. And, you know, there are people who, who run pretty lean operations and they're basically taking out all the money at the end of the month. You can't do that anymore. Right. Um, and, yeah. and, and so it's, it's, if you make it through the first two years of this, um, then, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully have figured out a way to live with this by that point. But considering that Congress never intended for this to go into effect and they are still intending to repeal it, they just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, right. I see no reason for us to wait for thousands and thousands of small businesses to go out of business and thousands more to never even come into existence. Gotcha. And so we've got two things that are pending that, you know, we're sort of waiting for, you know, more information that could dramatically change this. Presumably, it can only get better from where it is right now. Um, the first one would be clarification on what is software development, right? You're saying that the IRS has not really clarified what that is. It's, you know, there's, I guess, some chance that they could provide a narrower definition um, that wouldn't have so much of these costs be affected. Like, correct me if that's wrong. And then the second piece being pending legislation that would just I'm guessing what's on the table. I mean, I think you've looked at some of the prepared documents. It's just all this goes away, or is there a kind of new status quo that's being proposed um, in these legislations? Is it like switch off, go right back to 100% deduction, or is some other squishier middle ground being proposed? Right. So the first one, we are waiting for final IRS guidance because everyone in Washington expected this to be reverted before it took effect. The IRS didn't issue the full guidance. Um, and that's oh, okay. going back years, like from, from the time that they made this change in 2017, yeah. it was expected to be reverted. Um, okay. And big companies have been talking to Congress since 2019, sending them letters being like, hey, remember that thing that you intended to revert before it goes into effect? Let's not forget that. Um, yeah. And they still haven't done it. So, yes, we are still waiting for full guidance from the IRS. We only have partial guidance at this point. Um, and then the other part is um, there has already been legislation introduced in the Senate um, there are 21 co-sponsors and counting. Um, that number's going up. Um, I just checked it again today and it was up. Um, the problem is, is that tax bills never get voted on on their own standalone. Um, and uh, from what I've been reading and talking to people, the soonest opportunity, barring Congress understanding how urgent of a crisis this is for small businesses, um, would be at the end of September. Um, and there are three bills that are an option at the end of September to put this in. Um, or it gets pushed to the end of the year again. Now, the problem with this is, first of all, people are having trouble paying their tax bills right now. So even mm -hmm. waiting until September and, you know, and, and these bills would make it retroactive to 2022. So you would get a refund. Right. 
but most small businesses are not in the position to float the IRS a couple hundred thousand dollars or more for six to nine months while Congress gets this tangled up in other issues, Mm -hmm. which is what happened in December. So we are sending a coalition letter to Congress, which is a very effective tool. A group of small biotech companies sent one to Congress recently, and then a senator Mm -hmm. mentioned it in a hearing last week. So these are very effective. Um, Mm -hmm. Sending a letter to Congress telling them that this is a problem for small software businesses um, and that this is an urgent crisis that needs an immediate solution. Otherwise, small software businesses will start going out of business. So um, let's maybe go ahead and pivot to what founders, owners of software companies can do. What would you recommend, you know, if you're a US-based company that's going to be affected by this, um, how should you best take action? Yes. So if you are a um, US-based founder, which is to say Mm -hmm. citizen or resident of the US with a US company, Mm -hmm. whether that is a side project or a larger one that has employees, you should go Mm -hmm. to ssballiance.org and sign the coalition letter. Um, Mm -hmm. This letter is going to be delivered to Congress before tax day. So sign it before April 10th. Um, Okay. Go there, sign the letter. Um, You know, all of you know me as an indie founder. Uh, You don't know this because I don't talk about it very much until now that I started out working in D.C. And so I am using every connection I've got to make this happen and to get this into the right hands and directly into Congress. Um, Mm -hmm. People are very receptive. Um, And again, there's people who've been working on this for four years now and it hasn't gotten through. So we are hoping that by bringing small businesses into the conversation, we can not only help Congress understand that this is urgent, um, but also that, you know, this isn't just um, a big business issue, right? This, this is, this is um, having very serious impact and it's not just for software companies either. It's biotechs, it's manufacturing, small and, and large. Um, and so the thing that people can do that will make an impact is go to ssballiance.org and sign mm-hmm. the coalition letter. And then would you recommend they reach out to their representative as well? Those not at this point. Um, not at this point. Yeah, so we, we will be doing follow-ups as it is strategically helpful. Um, okay. So this kind of just depends on the situation in Congress and what's going on there. Um, so there have already been indie founders who are in strategically important places um, that have been connected with Hill staff and had an opportunity to talk about how this is directly impacting their business because members listen to people in their own districts or their own states. Um, sure. And I just connected a whole bunch of people this morning um, as well. And so mm-hmm. if people go to the, the SSBalliance.org and they sign the coalition letter, um, I also ask for your full address, which I use to match to your congressional district. It's a weird thing where it's like, I also built the software that tells you what people's congressional district is. Um, so it's, it's quite a <laughs> exercise in dog fooding. Nice. Um, Very and, cool. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yes. So then as, you well, know, particular areas are um, uh, helpful, I'm reaching out to people individually. Um, you know, if you, if you call your congressperson or you use their contact form, that is helpful. Their staff is required to keep tabs on every person who calls in or writes in about every issue. Um, 
so that is helpful but you know if we get to the point i if you go through that the the form then i can also connect you with staff as um as it's helpful perfect um Okay. That's awesome. First of all, thank you so much for doing all this work. I mean, <laughs> you're not getting paid for this. You are obviously incentivized like the rest of us um, in terms of having this kind of a business that's going to be affected, but uh, it's awesome that you you stepped up and did this work. So really, really appreciate that. Um, um, I, so I, I think maybe let's take a, another turn here and say, what can founders still do from there? Right. Okay. So they've done this. They've gone to the SSB Alliance. They've signed it. They are standing ready and waiting to call at you know whenever uh, the 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 moment arrives. Um, they've done their duty to sort of you know try and nudge uh, Congress in the right direction. Let's take two parts. First, is like what what can you do in your business? What would you do? What are you doing in your business? Maybe Arvid, I'd be curious what you think, like hypothetically as well, because I don't think you have a US based business. But let's just say you have a US based SaaS business. I do. How would you be thinking do. about? Oh, you I, do have one. That's right. That's my, right. my little yeah, but it's it's not I that effective because it's it's you know I run it by myself and it's not that profitable, yeah. so no problem for me. But you know it's it's still a it's still a, an issue that I'm concerned with. One of the things that yeah. blows my mind about this two things. First off, the fact that indie founders now have to deal with U.S. law, like the fact that we we need to impact uh, legislation as people who are way too busy to impact anything but yeah. their own business and the market that they're trying to serve. It's crazy. Like sure. we don't have a legal department in our businesses, right? We don't have a, like a public relations uh, department or anybody who could deal with these things while we build our business. I, it's now deal with the tax stuff or deal with the business. Both is probably problematic or overwhelming for people. And the other thing is the only bank that could have helped us with this or US-based founders uh, just exploded two weeks ago. So that's a problem. Like It, it seems to be mm. this perfect storm um, of things that are surprising to people, even though now in retrospect, we look at it and we think, well, we should have done something about this much earlier, right? It feels like it's all coming at us at incredible speed out of nowhere. And that blows my mind. And the fact that now we have to deal with this as founders, um, that is bad. Now, answering your question, um, honestly, like going into this recession, I've been thinking a lot about like building a war chest. I did not think about building a war chest to be able to pay taxes that I don't need to pay. Like it feels, mm. <laughs> it feels like one of these things um, where a bootstrap business is in, in its leanness and in its agility can usually use its revenue, its, its earnings that it has, possible earnings that, that go beyond just paying for your expenses to invest in itself. It mm. turns out that investing in yourself now includes putting money aside for these unforeseen circumstances. So yeah. um, in, in my own business, which is a Canadian media business, I am now saving money not knowing that you know it's not the same situation and it's probably not going to happen here in Canada, but I'm now thinking about I need a, at least a tiny little war chest in case there is a 5x uh, tax burden on me in the future, which is unfortunate because that is money that could be spent on many other things that are not just hoping that other people are in, uh, less incompetent. You know, that's kind of what this is about for me. Like tax tax law should be handled in a in a competent way, which it hasn't been, and that's a problem. Mm. But yeah, war chest, that's what it is. Like going into any kind of economic downturn, usually you need some kind of financial liquidity 
And it turns out bootstrap businesses are now at a slight disadvantage compared to VC funded businesses that have, or <laughs> I don't know, I mean, fortunately still have after the explosion of SVB, um, some kind of money that enables them to pay for this. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would like to hear what Michelle, what, what you're doing in, in your business to, to deal with this, because this sounds like a, a terrible threat, really, to the, the existence of, of a SaaS business. Yeah. And before I get into that, I want to note that this likely impacts businesses, even if you aren't profitable on a normal accounting basis, mm. because right. unless that business is just sitting there and you only occasionally fix a bug or reply to a support question, but you don't add, like, if you add any new features, if you're doing any improvements to it, all of that is R&E that is covered under 174. And so you could be losing money probably on a, on a regular accounting basis and mm -hmm. still owe taxes. Yeah. It. Even because a, it's a artificially like inflating your, exactly. Yeah. It's artificially yeah. inflating um, your revenue. Yeah. That's uh, important yeah. to know. And, and maybe yeah. one thing yeah. before, before I throw this back at you, like if, if you are a founder that's not based in the United States at this moment, and you're just waking up from the last 10 minutes of, of conversation that didn't really concern you, it's still important for you to take action and just talk to people about this who may not be aware of this. Because it's not just founders who may not be aware of this from, from me following Michelle, your, your podcast and everything you've been talking about. It's also accountants that are occasionally not aware of this change in the States. So if, if you are, if you are a founder, that or if you are a founder that knows founders in the states reach out to them tell them about this hopefully they know about this already and have dealt with this or ask their accountant what's going on but people that there's a, a lack of awareness on many levels here and we should do our best even if we're not directly affected to help our community because it's what you said we're not lawyers we're not accountants this is not legal advice but we're founders who want to help our founders succeed that in our in our peer group right we want them to not be bankrupt so it's now on us to help spread the word, really. And I'm glad you're on the show and talking about this, even though this is boring taxes. Well, it's it's life-threatening boring taxes, right? This is something, it, it's it's getting me worked up. That's usually yeah. happening. Maybe we should get taxes. calmer then. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's talk about how you stay calm. That's a wonderful <laughs> segue. Thanks I, I, I want to note that um, there are a lot of founders who don't live in the U.S., but have U.S. LLCs, have U.S. C-Corps, and... Unfortunately, you're not U.S. citizens or U.S. residents. You don't have the ability to petition Congress for a redress of grievances. Uh, but I know you're there and I'm thinking of you and I know that we are fighting for ourselves and for you as well. Um, but I recognize that, that there are a lot of people who are paying a much higher tax bill in not their home currency, so probably also paying exchange fees um, in, in, in the course of that, who are impacted and don't really have any recourse um, except for spreading the word. Um, and so, and that is incredibly empowerful, uh, powerful because trying to drive a thousand signatures on this. Um, yeah. And so that is very helpful. In terms of staying ha calm, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, actually, like just one practical question I want to, see what y'all think about this. I mean, how would you evaluate? I don't think we want to give anyone advice on this topic is now the topic I'm about to bring up because we're now also combining uh, tax and legal as well as sort of business and maybe debt considerations. But how would you think through yourself? You know, it seems to me like 
as things go, the likelihood of this getting resolved on a one to two year time horizon seems pretty good, right? You've got bills in Congress, you've got bipartisan support, you've got big companies and small companies all aligned on the same page. You have, you know, alliances really working on this. You know, it seems to me like I would say, probably this gets resolved on some longer time horizon. And the main question is, does it get resolved fast enough? How would you think through the question of, let's say I need to take out a loan or loan the company some money or even raise some capital? I'm thinking about this right now. Should we be creating some sort of product for these companies to raise some sort of short-term one-year capital or something to, to plug that gap on the basis that probably in the next one to two years, you're going to get it reversed and you'll get a big tax refund and you just need to bridge that gap. How would you think through making that bet as a, as a founder if you, if you didn't have the cash on hand, if you didn't already have the war chest to just cut the check and be mad about it, you know, like you actually had to come up with the money somehow or go out of business? I, I think that's a very personal decision for people, especially those mm -hmm. who are in that position of, of receiving um, the higher tax bill, again, I haven't gotten mine yet. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I, I actually need to send my email and accountant this week about it. Um, and it's creating great uncertainty for me. Um, and I know that we run our business quite conservatively. And so I am mm -hmm. hopeful that we will be able to stomach that for this year. Um, people who have been running leaner operations which is most small businesses um, are in a state of panic. And I think, I, I guess I first have to say that I don't, it, it's difficult to put myself in that mindset, right? Of someone who is fighting for their life um, for, from my position. Um, mm -hmm. I think also that, you know, the, the economic environment we are in, um, access to capital is, is difficult for, most companies right now. Um, Arvid mentioned um, SVB, right? I mean, like there's so many founders that was the only bank that would give them a mortgage, right? I mean, it's hard enough to get banks to work with small software businesses and small software founders during normal economic times. Um, and so if there are people who have capital and that is a an investment decision that they are able to make, um, I think they should explore whether that makes sense for them is something they could pull off. Um, it's a very different kind of hedge to be sort of betting on congressional action. Um, it's, it's, it's putting founders in a very difficult position, right? It's, it's, do I use a home equity line of credit? Do I use my credit card? Like how long is this going to take? How long do I eat the interest from this? Right. Mm -hmm. And will I get it back from the IRS with interest as well? Um, it, it's creating some very, very difficult decisions for people. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this has sparked a very interesting thought for me, which I, I, it hadn't occurred until we started talking that, um, this might be something that, that I can potentially help with, um, with yeah, our fund. Maybe. So, yeah. um, I'm going to pull that thread maybe on Twitter and, and see if there's a couple folks who'd be interested to explore it because, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you're talking about fundamentally sound businesses, right, that are going to take a, a short term 
you know, massive cash flow hit, right? It's a liquidity crisis, just like all the other ones we've been dealing with, right? Where fundamentally operationally good businesses might need to come up with cash they don't have on a short-term basis. And, it's you know, there are like levers you can pull. Yeah, yeah, right? there are levers like you can pull. Like the government was like, these are sound businesses. They just need, right. you know, this is going to be a crisis for three months, you know? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> uh, we just need to fund yeah. them. You know, the restaurants, like they can survive, uh, you know, if we just pay them for three months, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's a little bit similar, right? These are otherwise sound businesses mm -hmm. that um, only because of some just, just, a, I, I, I'm struggling to describe it without swearing, quite yeah. frankly, um, situation, um, businesses, you know, are in this difficult position. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna step right up to the line here and give some some advice on how to interact with your accountant, which is not the same as actual tax advice. Um, but something I think is really valuable. I remember I heard um, I think Nick Huber made this point really eloquently, which is that your accountant is not a um, traffic cop enforcing the IRS rules on you, although a lot of them act that way. A lot of them basically like take the rules and they try to like put onto you, like here is exactly what you have to do. If they come to you and they say, this is exactly what you have to do. And you're like, well, that's going to put me out of business, right? Make sure that you take a moment to turn it back around to them and say, what can we do? <laughs> Explain to me like what are the, le the legal and totally like, you know, acceptable, but what options do we actually have? Can we file for an extension, right? That would at least give me another six months of breathing room or something like that. Just make sure that you don't let, because I think a lot of people have this relationship where, you know, they, it kind of feels like their accountant works for the IRS and is there just like telling them what to do and remind them that they work for you. <laughs> and so of course you don't want to override them. You do want to follow the rules, but like have that last layer of conversation to say, this is a really big deal for me. What can you help me try to figure out if there's any options that apply to my specific situation and make sure you have that last layer of conversation with them because there may be some things like, especially if we think there's at least some probability this gets fixed in the future, things that can just simply delay the actual cash needs for this or that can parse it out over multiple years so you only have to pay a fraction. Again, like this is not advice. I'm just saying, ask these questions, have this conversation with your accountant in that moment. Um, yeah. I mean, so it is you guys my don't have to go that... that. You can just let me dangle myself <laughs> out there on that one. <laughs> so I, I want to agree with that. Um, but first, it is my understanding that even if you do file an extension, which we have, um, you still owe the taxes in April. Um, and so if you don't pay them, then you owe them plus penalties. And again, I think to, to, to your point is you may make a calculated decision that is I'm going to pay the penalties for this year. For what what would my taxes have been this year? What are the penalties on top of that? This is not tax advice, but there are options, right? There and right. and asking your accountant to lay out all of your options, um, right? And asking them to think outside the box, um, and you were allowed to do that. You know, somebody told me once, you were allowed to optimize your taxes. It is not against the law to optimize your taxes. Totally. You cannot evade taxes. You can't change your software developer's title to, I don't know, like window cleaner and then just expect it to not have any tax issues. That's fraud. I'm not a lawyer, but yeah. that's fraud. 
So, yeah. but it is not, it is not against the law to optimize your tax situation and work with your accountant to optimize your tax situation. The difficult thing for businesses now is that 2022 has already ended. And so if there were optimizations that you could have done, um, there aren't going to be as many options, but like the IRS has payment plans. There, there, like there are, you know, there are options, right? And I think, you know, in terms of getting into steps that people can do as they're looking at this, I think that's the first one is have a conversation with your accountant and work through all of the options with them. Um, from right. what it looks like to me, it's it's very clear that every company that has these R&E expenses, the software development expenses, um, chiefly among them for, for folks like us, um, that there will be a higher tax bill than that we had anticipated. And so yeah. as I thought about this going into this year, I mean, notwithstanding my own other personal tax hairballs that I'm sorting out, um, you know, the, the, the first thing was, okay, you know, what are the plans we have for the year? And how can we scale those back, right? Like we went into this year seeing that a bunch of big tech companies were laying people off and we were like, hey, you know what? We're super busy. Maybe this is a good time for us to hire another engineer. Like a lot of good people have just been laid off, people we know. That conversation is gone, right? During normal years, if a friend of ours is holding a conference and they ask us to sponsor, usually I say yes. Brand marketing like that is not happening this year. And so that's the first thing is just kind of looking at plans and looking at what are the most obvious places to cut. Um, the second one is the more sort of really looking at places to cut, right? Um, which is a common thing that you do going into a recession. Um, so for us, we pulled back on all non-core uh, spending, which... I mean, unfortunately for us, like meant like we're not participating in Com Fund Four, and we we've, we've been participating in the other funds. Like, but this, we just can't. Um, mm -hmm. It also means um, we are, you know, pouring through all the services we're using, and like, mm -hmm. you know, we were paying Datadog a thousand dollars a month, even though we had planned to get rid of it six months ago, and it was like, all right, that is getting ripped out right now. That bill is no longer happening, right? And so just going through line by line, what are all of the things we spent money on this last year? Um, you know, we don't have a formal budget. Um, I just kind of know all this in my head, um, which is probably not the calmest way to run it. Um, <laughs> but while you're sending your accountant all of your information for last year and figuring what you owe in taxes, that's a really good time to look through all of those expenses and be like, did we really need to be spending money on this? do I know what this is? Like, is this, is this a core expense? Like, is this a cost of goods sold expense? Do we have to yeah. pay this in order to provide our software? Or is this something that we can cancel? Can we use something cheaper? Is this like, and just kind of really taking um, a, a rough look through um, your budget. But again, I mean, yeah. there's, you know, I think there's, it's, it, I, I don't want to downplay that sometimes, budgeting advice when people are in a massive financial crisis can feel a little bit like telling people to stop eating avocado toast in order to save for a house, right? <laughs> like, you know, if, if you, if you need $500,000, like not paying $5 a day for toast is like not going to cut it. Right. And so yeah. I don't want to downplay, um, the, 
the seriousness that puts into this. And, you know, Arvid, to what you said earlier about, like, having a war chest, like, I mean, I, I like, I mentioned in my book how I manage our customers like, like a portfolio. And that's how I prioritize what kind of marketing I'm doing, what kind of customers I'm talking to, what I'm pulling out of that is, and, 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 and looking at all of our customers and saying, okay, we've got 20% in real estate. This was a portfolio. That would be too much. Let's purposefully move into other sectors, right? Not necessarily if we fire all of those customers, love our real estate customers, but maybe having more in other sectors would be helpful, like a portfolio, right? And so for me personally, I have done a lot of work for years now to try to prepare for recession. And what I did not prepare for was boneheaded tax policy um, <laughs> that that we get charged taxes on something that Congress doesn't even think they should be charging us taxes on. Like, yeah. just the level of insanity is mind boggling. And I think for <laughs> okay. like, just the Let's more you think about it, you know, good. the more, yeah. right, I, I'll calm down. Okay. You know, the more you think <laughs> okay. about it, the more frustrating it gets, which for me, I think, you know, I think you get to a certain point mm -hmm. in the business kind of as, as you were saying, Tyler, that you have to ask yourself, is this a problem I need to be worrying about? Is this a problem I need to be handling myself? Can I pay somebody to worry about this and take care of it for me? Right. And yeah. I feel like that, that, that was a, it's a very big stage for a lot of founders to go through. Um, mm -hmm. For most people, you have your accountant to worry about this for you. Maybe there are other people in the community that you know that you can bring in. Maybe you have a good relationship with a bank. Maybe Tyler pulls something together, right? Like maybe you have options too. Um, maybe your accountant knows of some options, right? If you're having trouble paying this. Um, you have them and also, you can sign the letter to Congress, and if there is more that you personally need to do on this, I will tell you. Otherwise, you can offload that to me. I'm taking this on as a side project until it's fixed. I'm in the weird yeah. position of being the indie founder that knows a bunch of people in D.C. and never thought those things would ever interact with one another. Um, and we'll take it from there right but spending yeah. all of your time thinking about this and trying to parse out the legislative chess around it like is not it's not a productive use of your time and even when i start started thinking about doing this as a as a project i was like do i really need to be the person doing this right like it's like having yeah. arguments on the internet do yeah. i need to be a person in this argument do i have to be like am i specifically uniquely the person who has to make this argument or can i go on sometimes the answer is yes yeah <laughs> and yes, some, you are. sometimes the answer <laughs> yeah. is is yes which is yeah. what i and i was kind of like well yeah it, i guess i do have to do it um <laughs> but I i'm doing like, it so you don't have to yeah that's perfect exactly i think i would sort of put a bow on that that part as like you know, I, if you zoom back out, man, I, I really feel for 
for founders right now. And I mean, including myself in that moment as well, because like, there's just one thing after another, and you know, whether it's, you know, it's COVID and then it's interest rates and then it's SVB explosions and then it's crypto busts. And then, you know, it's just, there's always some crazy thing going on that feels like it's throwing kind of radioactive waste in your, in your path. And I think it's important to remember that like, this is kind of now part of the game, right? Of being an entrepreneur is like, you can sort of, you know, like, unless you're going to step up and take action, like you have, your options are sort of like wail about it and lose sleep or just like take action. Right. And, and building mental and business resiliency to these sorts of things now just feels like it's that's necessary. That's a piece of it alongside, you know, the risk of, you know, that you take as like just fundamentally being an entrepreneur, right. Of not having a steady paycheck and not having a pension or a 401k, like all of those risks that you already took on, you just, this is another one now that you have to build that toolkit for dealing with these sorts of things. And I think like you really hit on the one that I've been preaching a lot, which is to really focus on what's in your control and what's not. Right. And with a lot of these external things, actually, like the vast majority of it is out of your control. You know, at the end of the day, like it sucks, I'm not trying to minimize how annoying it would be to have your business completely nuked by some random change in the tax code that would be devastating for people. But a huge percentage of whether or not that happens is out of your control. Right. You know, you, you can do your thing. You can, you know, you can, you can sign the petition, you can call your representative and then all you can really do is folk get back to focusing on your business. Right. And so really just continuously reminding myself, like focus on what piece of this is in my control, which could be, how can I, you know, create some plan B's, right? How can I line up financing? How can I maybe factor my invoices? How can I, you know, make a plan for if I have to lay off staff really fast? How can I, how can we pull forward revenue with switching people to annual plans, right? There's a long list of things that's in your control. And then there's a much, much, much bigger list of things that are completely out of your control. And so really just like zeroing in on the difference between those two, I think is one really important way to, um, you know, to stay calm through this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah, one think, thing that really, really stands out to me here is that big old list you just rattled down, like with all the things you could do, like many of which any given founder probably only would think about 50% of. Right. One thing that, that really stands out to me is what we're currently doing is like we're building community awareness around the topic and around potential mm. solutions to that topic. So if, yeah. if there's one thing that a founder could do is go into their founder community, into their entrepreneurial peer group and talk to people about this. It's, it's not point. just on you to solve your own problem at this point. These things are so potentially disastrous that you probably should talk to your peers and figure out what they are doing, like front loading revenue. That's something that I hadn't thought about just until this point. Like I could send out mm. an email to my permanent link customers. If I had this problem, I don't really because or chest, right? But if, if I if I needed to, I could say, well, get the yearly plan. There is a little bookkeeping issue around like for all SaaS businesses. You can support this if you want by getting, I don't know, like get it for 80%, 75% of the price, whatever you do for your annual plans. That would keep my business afloat until this is resolved. This is something you could do. But like you told me this 30 seconds ago. Before that, I wouldn't have thought about this. And only because mm. I'm in this kind of communicative communion with you, do I know about mm. it. So if you go to your community, listen to what other peer, your peers, your other founders are doing and trying to figure out, 
that is something that you can do that is actually actionable for your own business. And I really like that. I mean, that's what our community is here for, helping each other on this. And that also puts you back into the kind of into, into agency. Now you can do something that will give you more awareness and knowledge about, you know, the, the actions you can take. And that's that's kind of that gives that's it's still urgent, but there's less self-doubt, less anxiety, you know, like we this, this, it's important at this point to separate the urgency from the anxiety and from the, the fear that we have of, of not making it and the, the potential fear of bankruptcy and all that. That is still possible, but it won't help you to be afraid of this. What helps you is to focus on the things that you can do. And if this, this is also a very calm approach, right? To try to stay calm on an emotionally level, but not complacent. These are two very distinct topics, right? Two very distinct things. You still need to take immediate action, but it shouldn't be focused on panic. It should be focused on being focused. So, um, yeah, that's what I would suggest. It's like find your community, talk to people right now today about what they are doing, and then try to implement these things in your business as well. And, I mean, to that, right, getting to that headspace where you are able to calmly look at all of your options, to remember that you have options is so important, right? I mean, when when you get a surprisingly high bill from a tax authority, which, I mean, you know, I was just telling an accountant a couple of weeks ago on a very different issue that that's a kind of emotional trauma I like to minimize in my life. Um, <laughs> it's 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 natural, right, to feel panic about that, right? And 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 I think it's okay to feel that. And then the the next thing that we have to do in order to move into that calmer headspace is to remember that that our own bodies need to feel safe as well. And this is a really key thing for it. That if you have a meditation practice, if you run, if you do anything that physically makes you feel okay in your own body, that is very, very powerful for finding a sense of calm during a time yeah. when you may not initially feel or remember that you that are there are things you have control over and that there are ways that you have options. Mm. And so prioritizing those things for you, wh whatever they are, um, giving yourself that space to come down from the immediate cortisol overload of stress yeah. and find a way to just sort of bring the temperature down just a little bit, right? I'm not going to tell oh, you yeah. to breathe because if you tell people who are panicking to breathe, they will panic even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But well, to I, literally I guess... calm down your body first yeah. and then remember you have options. You can outsource this problem, right? To your community, to people you pay to solve this problem for you. You have options. You have gotten to this point because you are a smart and capable person who is able to recognize that they have options and can solve problems. You have probably solved harder problems before in your life and in your business, and you will solve this one. Amen. 
I want to clip yeah. that and just listen to it every morning. Actually, <laughs> yeah, th that that would that would be a great little affirmation. <laughs> next to audio just... book, just affirmations uh -huh. for entrepreneurs. Well, it, it yeah. is important, right? Hard things. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's a it's a central central important thing for our own mental health to to stay aware of our capacity to find mindfulness. And like Tyler and I, we're, we're trying to build the Calm MBA, right? We're trying to build something that teaches people the approach to building a calm business. And I have this feeling that we should put a, a mindfulness chapter somewhere into into the process, like not not just meditation, but also just being aware that you are capable of solving problems and maybe doing affirmations. I mean, it, it may sound funny to talk to yourself in the mirror, but it has a psychological effect. And in a moment where everything around you is like on fire, maybe taking a minute to calm yourself down is actually a, an executive business decision that you should be making, right? It's, it's not, just, uh, not just a personal thing. It will impact your business. So I, I guess... We are now at the point where we can talk a little bit about uh, the Calm MBA, which is the whole reason that we started this podcast, to give people the opportunity to, to follow along as we build the thing that will teach them to stay calm when things are exploding and to, to be calm in all other situations, which apparently are few and rare in nature. But <laughs> we've, been, we've been recently discussing um, how we should structure this because we want to get this out as soon as possible. Obviously, the time is now, right? It's like we need to give people the, the, the potential tools for building these businesses as soon as possible so they don't. Uh, run into these ex explosive situations. So Tyler, would you like to um, just discuss a little bit what we've come up with here? And I would like to hear Michelle's opinion on this too, being a person who is very calm and building a extremely calm business. You know, it's it's kind of nice to have somebody on that, that would be both um, a, a great person to help us with the project and just a, a voice, another opinion giver outside of it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Michelle, just to briefly recap in case you're not hundred percent up to speed on this, um, you know, we have this code name calm MBA project we're working on. The basic premise is to get some of the principles of building a calm company and developing yourself as a calm founder, um, to folks a little earlier on in the life cycle of entrepreneurship, right? So at the time where they're being bombarded with, you know, all of the stories of how to build a rocket ship and go raise venture capital and go to the accelerator, there's actually something else that they can start to see as a real path that they could sort of follow. And I think we have a really good sense of the general principles and things that should go in there. The big question has been trying to figure out what, how to really put that into a package that that makes sense and that isn't trying to completely boil the ocean, right? So the scope makes sense and the product makes sense and we can actually do it. Um, we had originally kind of landed on the idea that the first product should be more of a self-paced course covering a variety of topics, targeting very early stage folks. And uh, actually, so we usually do shout outs at the end, but I will just shout out Kelly Wild Miller, um, who is an entrepreneur who posted about doing, instead of doing a multi-week long course, um, breaking the topic up into a series of short workshops, like two, three, five-day workshops that would be intensive and that you could iterate on. Um, so Arvid and I were talking about that this week, about whether or not we should potentially do start there as a starting point, which would be... I guess the idea would be a sort of, let's say, plus or minus three-day 
um, workshop, you know, remote friendly. And really, I think I would think of it as like folks at the starting line, right? So real like workshopping ideas, trying to think about what is a calm company and, and how that maps to their vision of, of building a company. Um, initial reactions to what that would be as a product, especially I want to also like, I want you to filter all of this stuff through the lens of the whole process you just went through with deploy empathy, right? In terms of trying to get some really cool principles into the brains of a similar audience, you know, what is your gut reaction to, to starting there? Um, or just any reactions to, the, to that so far? So my first reaction is that I love the idea of it. Um, That's great. I, so three years into my business, I did not feel like I was competent enough to be running the business I already had. Mm -hmm. And I went out and got an MBA um, because that just forgot about that. Yeah. felt like the only <laughs> yeah. option to do. Right. And um, and so I I love that idea of, of, of making that more accessible. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I like I went to a state school, so it it wasn't expensive, but it was still like thirty five thousand dollars, and right. not everybody is in the position to pay that, especially when you are at the beginning of building a business, um, mm -hmm. or has a university nearby that offers business courses. And you know, I think for me, quite frankly, um, you know, I describe myself as as being in a hibernation period uh, before I took on all of this tax stuff, um, and I was just dealing with geocodio things and whatnot, and um, I felt like I was in this time where, you know, the, the kind of sort of bootstrapper education I had, I had sort of done everything that I had talked about. But then the MBA, like a lot of it doesn't kick in until, you know, 10, 20, 50 million in revenue. Right. And so kind of in this weird in-between state and thinking a lot about how we as entrepreneurs can like keep learning. And um, as I started talking to people about this, one thing that, that came back and one thing that I loved in my MBA was learning from other people. And so mm. I love that you're thinking about it as a workshop because I think a lot of people, whether it was, you know, a prestige Ivy MBA or, um, you know, sort of a more local one like mine, right? Like, or a calm MBA is that um, the people you meet are a huge part of the experience and I think that that is learning learning from other people and their experiences or even just what they're thinking about, right, is so important. And it's also so energizing to be around people who are passionate about the things that you are passionate <laughs> about, but they're passionate in like slightly different ways. I mean, yeah. this was my favorite part of college, right? Like was you're just all of a sudden around all these people who are interested in something similar as you when in your daily life you don't really have anyone who is mm -hmm. right. And so that is just, that is so motivating and inspiring and success creating on its own. Um, and, and I think that that kind of cohorting people in this um, and, and, and having it be workshops is um, I, I think that's totally the way, the right way to go, go about it. Um, I think with people, I think I, I think there's kind of a challenge in serving people who don't already have a business because they maybe don't have the money to go somewhere to do it, right? And then it's like, well, you could do it remote. And then how do you make sure that they're still getting those connections in that environment? And I mean, we've just kind of had three years where basically everything was remote. So 
I haven't figured it out, but I'm sure like a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying this and testing it and figuring it out. And like, there's people you could talk to who could tell you how to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. I think a one day Saturday workshop though, is what I would do. Because if you're thinking okay. that people are yeah. working full time, that's true. Unless like, sure, it's unlikely that they would be able to do it. And there's a lot of executive MBA programs that are meant for people who are working full time. And usually mm-hmm. those are like half day Friday, all day Saturday, once a month or every like two weeks kind of a program, but oftentimes once a month. And I think it's worth looking at, at, at how they structure it. They usually structure it as being in person. Well, mm-hmm guess before covid i'm talking about um sure but i would encourage you to go that direction of like one saturday a month here's like and we're gonna do these like two modules and like you know this is like this is what we're doing and you're expected to be active on slack you know during the week and during other times and Mm -hmm. like you know whatnot like you know i don't don't know there's all tons of things you could do right you're expected to have a random coffee chat with at least one person once a week for an hour Mm -hmm. right and like you don't have anything to talk about here's your topic or something um but i think i think baking community into it from the very beginning um and learning from other people is um is is a huge part of the value of of any education program wow that is extremely helpful. Thank you so much for, for mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had considered that we were likely going to be serving people who already have a job <laughs> and would have to do this like in the evening or something, but like pushing it onto the, the Saturdays and then giving people time during the week to fit whatever they need to do in there. That is a very good idea. Thank you so much, Michelle. You're awesome. Did you know, Did you know how great you are? That is, that is extremely helpful because we we want this to be something actionable, right? We want to get people to to actually do something and get over whatever finish line there might be, right? That depends on how much we we can offer, and that's kind of where this this whole question comes from. It's a question of scope, like who are we talking to and how far do we take them with this? Because it could be the whole journey. We could like do the the whole thing where it's like an accelerator plus some kind of alumni network or whatever. But but we're trying to be as impactful as possible without being overboarding. Right, Tyler? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I like that a lot. Um, man, this is just, there's so many ways you can go with this. What is, mm-hmm. Michelle, what is your gut instinct on like a pricing structure for something like this that included virtual community, it was remote, and it was, you know, either one day or, you know, pick whatever kind of feels right, right? Obviously, if it's one day a month for a year, that's a different price than one day a month once. Um, but like, pick a number out of a hat. Like what, what, what is your like first reaction to how, how this should be priced? Um, my, my gut reaction is that look at the competition and how they price it. And generally that's at least a semester commitment at a time. Um, I might encourage you to, so however long the program is, whether that's six months or a year, right. Mm -hmm. I would encourage an upfront commitment from the very beginning. And so whether Mm. that's $2,000, $5,000, like this is an upfront commitment that people are making. Now, of course, they'll need an ability to try it at some point. I mean, you know, know, pricing plans and all that kind of stuff, right? But, like, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it should be something that you can kind of turn on and off from a given month, right? It should be expected that, like, you're joining this, you know, for example, you're joining this cohort. This is your group. Like, all of these people have committed to being here. 
for the next six months. You're committing to being here for the next six months and, you know, having to make a financial commitment um, is, is, I think, part of how people incentivize themselves to keep showing up. Mm. Um, I like that but, a lot. I mean, with everything, right? Like, this is your business. You know more about it than I do. You're going to mm -hmm. learn more about it than I do. And so, like, you know, take that with a grain of salt, right? Like, I like it. I'm not an expert in building education businesses, so... Totally. Yeah, no, we're just like, it's just, this is all <laughs> like sort of calibrating. It's, it's kind of like the, it's a very, the reason we started this is it's a very, very tricky, interesting productization problem. Like the actual content is not actually the problem. You know, we've both written about it enough that like, we know what we want to get into people's brains. It's just, it is kind of tricky to figure out how to, to go about that. So that's what we were, we're sort of continuously playing with that in public. So this is great. Love it. Yeah. Thanks um, so much for being part of this, this, uh, discussion and our exploration of the topic in public as well. That, that is really, really helpful. What do y'all think? Should we, should we wrap it up here? We've gone over. It's time over to, to get back to entrepreneurial activism and get people excited to sign things and talk to people about it. Right. I think like you already had your sh shout out, Tyler. Michelle, do you want to shout out anybody who's been helpful, supportive with your whole Section 174 situation or anybody else? Would you like to shout out anybody else? That's up to you as well. There have been so many founders who have jumped on board and, and, and been so open with their, their time and the struggle that they're going through about Section 174. Um, I mean, if I started to list them, I would forget someone. So I am not going to do that. I will say on the point of finding a sense of uh, uh, of calm to the point where you can start to make decisions from a physical sense, Angela Parker, you probably remember her from, from yeah. uh, Mexico City. Uh -huh. Angela is a fantastic person. She's a coach and you guys should have her on. But if people are really finding themselves struggling with that she really understands the somatic and physical side of finding calmness um and is totally someone you should talk to yeah on twitter she's angela parker f-i-t just said that's how it's spelled yeah Awesome. Yeah. It was a fitness rockstar. business, I think. So, yeah. I think so. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And shout out ssballiance.org.com. Which one? Dot org. Ssballiance.org. Small Software Business Alliance. It's not actually like a an organization. I just needed a domain name and that sounded great. Um, it's me. Um, yeah. Okay. And... <laughs> I'm liaising with DC to hopefully get this fixed. And so SSBAlliance.org, if you're a U.S. founder with a U.S. company, sign the letter. Um, it is it is going to go directly to Congress, and it is the most impactful thing you can do, even if you're only at the point right now where you're, you're feeling unsure about what the impacts of 174 will be. Yeah. That yeah. is helpful because it's causing uncertainty in your business. Um, so go there and sign it and thank you. Yes. And even if you're not affected, talk to people, encourage them to do something about it. This is a, this is a community effort to protect our founder community from bankruptcy and 
upheaval of lives. Like this is the, the least you can do is to share this so that others who are may, maybe not aware of it become aware of it and can do something about it. So thank you so much, Michelle, for, for being on. That was extremely nice, as it is usually to talk to you. But um, it's it's also very urgent and timely. And I'm, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to hear you explain this and share your incredibly important and most welcome activism on this uh, subject. So thanks so much for being on. Um, that, that was really nice. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate you spreading awareness of this. It, it, this is, it just feels like an existential threat to our way of business life. And um, I, I really appreciate it. All right. Well, we let's, let's do something about it and then catch up again next week. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And uh, yeah, see you next week. All right. Bye for now. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outseta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.